So, title of today's message is God Speaks. God Speaks, right? There we go. Now we can hear me. Now I can hear myself. That's not good. God Speaks. It's, and so as we look at that, some questions to think about. When was the last time God spoke to you? How did he do it? How did it change you? And how did it refocus your life? Because right? when God speaks to us, it can't help but change us. And it can't help but refocus us if we're listening and we obey. And so that's kind of the whole idea of what we're going to look at today. And I, as I was working on the sum, I kept wanting to go back into the Old Testament where we were working through. We're going to get back there. All right. But God kept bringing this verse back to my mind over and over again, this little passage. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'll give you guys a second to get there. So Hebrews chapter 1. It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became higher in rank than the angel, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for allowing us to, to come and hear your voice. Father, as you speak through your Son, you speak through the Holy Spirit, we, we just thank you for letting him be the prophet for us, Father, as he... As he did something no other prophet ever did, Father. That was to lay his life down so that we could have forgiveness of sins. As he purified us. Father, I pray today that we would just listen to what you have to say and hear your words. That we can honor you in all things. Praise you and we love you. Amen. Amen. So it starts off with that, that passage there. Long... Uh, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. As we read through the Old Testament, we see all the different prophets that spoke, right? And so as we look at what they had to say, they all kind of had the same kind of common theme. So we're going to look at those real quick. I'm going to talk about, just real quickly, I'm not going to discuss the entire books of all the prophets. That would take a while, right? Just a, a quick overview I found of what each of them say. So as we look at them, we see the first one we see Isaiah. It says Isaiah makes significant claims about God's coming judgment to the nations of the world and for Israel and for their oppressive practices and rebellion against him. But this book also builds a powerful narrative of a new kind of king, a servant who suffers on behalf of those he comes to rule. Then we look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah warns the people of Israel, or people of Jerusalem, in the surrounding nations about the disaster that their sins will bring upon them, but also anticipates hope in God's ability to redeem and restore people to himself. 
Ezekiel takes a priestly approach, warning Jerusalem of the coming destruction of the temple, but also foretelling of a day when the glory of the Lord will return to Israel and bring life back to the broken land. Hosea explores God's loyalty to Israel, even though Israel has been disloyal to him. Joel compares a natural disaster to God's coming judgment, but also looks forward to a God pouring out his spirit on humankind. Amos warns the people of Israel that their oppressive ways have made an enemy of their own God. Obadiah foresees a day when Israel will have justice against their oppressors. Jonah tells a story of how desperate, about, about how despite people's tendencies to stray from God, God is compassionate and prefers to prevent disasters if people are willing to change their ways. Micah encourages people to pursue justice and mercy, which God has shown humans how to do. Nahum sees the violence of a world empire and anticipates a day when they too will meet a violent end. Habakkuk recognizes the way violent, the way violent oppressive cultures fall even more violent, aggressive, oppressive cultures, but it encourages the people of God to live differently anyway. Zephaniah anticipates a coming reset of the nations where God will remove everything and restore everything. Haggai encourages the people of Jerusalem to reconstruct the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Zechariah tells Israel they will have an opportunity to return to God so that he can return to them and restore them. The Malachi chastises the people of Israel for straying from the Torah yet again and calls the people to recommit to abiding by God's laws. So we kind of see a, some common themes there, right? And so kind of the common theme I see is we see a few things going through all those. Through the prophets, God gave a message of judgment, condemnation, and a coming king. As we read through those, a lot of them had those three keys in all those prophets, right? A judgment, a condemnation, and a coming king. A new, new kingdom, a new earth, a new beginning at some point with all those. Rebuild the temple. Right? And so that was the Old Testament prophets. Because we had this message of condemnation because the Ten Commandments. We talked a little about this last week, right? How the Ten Commandments condemned us to judgment. And that was a horrible thing for us. Because we were all guilty. Just like the Israelites. They were all guilty and they were looking for a way to become righteous. They had, then they had ways to temporarily fix issues, right? As they worship God by obeying his commands and doing Ten Commandments, doing the sacrificial rituals that they did. But that's not the case anymore. Why is that, right? Because we have a new prophet. We have a new prophet in Jesus, right? A prophet that came not to condemn us through the Old Testament laws, because we're still guilty of those, as we talked about last week, right? We're still guilty of those. But through Jesus, God gives us a message of grace and mercy, or mercy and grace. And through Jesus, he doesn't send condemnation, judgment, and the promise of a coming king, and the hope of a new king. Jesus is the new king that the prophets spoke of. 
He is the restoring balance. He is the new, the creator of the new creations. That's his role. Jesus is a different prophet. Probably the biggest difference is, is he's the only prophet that laid his life down so that we can have forgiveness of sins. He gave his life over. And so we looked at verse 3. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining things through his powerful word after making the purification for sin. He is the sustainer. He's that promise. He's that gift that God gives us. And so the reality is, is we're still condemned through Old Testament law. Right? Every one of us, we still have that condemnation on us. Right? We are still guilty in God's eyes. And, and it's a common thing throughout the whole Bible. So <laughs> I don't feel bad preaching it two weeks in a row, right? That we are all guilty of sin that we have committed against God each and every moment of our life. We are still breaking of God's rules as we go through life. We are still guilty. We are condemned to punishment. We live a life as human beings, as just our human nature says, we deserve things. Right? I deserve a nice house. Or I deserve a house at all. Right? I deserve to have a car that's nicer than everyone else's. I deserve to have a big old plate full of food every day. I deserve to have nice new clothes, a closet full of clothes. I've worked hard. I deserve money in the bank account. I've given everything. I deserve more. Right, that's kind of our human nature in what we think and what we want to go with. But the reality of it is, is we only deserve three things. We deserve death, hell, and the grave. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. Right? All that hard work, doing it our own way, that's what it's earned us. Death, hell, and the grave. Condemnation through the Old Testament. That's what our work gets us. That's all it gets us. Because we've fallen short to all those laws that God gave us. All ten of them. We fell short, right? The reality is if God gave us two laws, we would probably fail on those two, right? right? He said, He said, Love no other God, have no other God before me. I think we all we just fail that one. We don't need the other nine, we fail the one on a daily basis. Right? We are condemned. We are deserving of death, hell, and the grave. But the great thing is, is God offers mercy and grace. And I want to review the definition I gave last week because I thought it was a great, great definition they gave us. So, and you guys can't read that now that I look at it. Sorry. I tried to fix them all this morning and tried to go through, but it reset somehow. But I can read it to you. Mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment. Mercy is the act of withholding the punishment. That is a great thing, right? It's great when you're not going to get punished, when the punishment's held, right? So a way you can think about this is you've broken a law. You go to the court. You stand in front of the 12 
jurors and they say guilty, right? And you're thinking, oh no, no, I'm not guilty. And then the prosecutor looks over and says, I know he's guilty, but I think we're going to let him go at this time. We're not going to give him punishment for it this time. But that's mercy. Does that make sense? Are you with me there? It's mercy. It's you're guilty, you you deserve a punishment, and and it's no longer given to you. That's God's mercy, what he does. Then there's grace. Grace is the act of, in, of endowing unmerited favor. Right? So now in that same setup, the prosecutor says, Not only do we want to keep it from going against him, we're gonna give him a new house, a new car. And a new way of life. My prosecutor doesn't have to do that. Okay? Probably is not going to happen in real life, right? But God said, if you love me, if you'll accept me as your Savior, and accept that my son paid the price for you, I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to withhold the punishment that you deserve of hell. I'm going to take what you deserve, death, hell, and the grave. I'm not going to give that to you. But I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to get, let you come and live with me in my house. I want you to come spend eternity with me because I love you. So the mercy is not having to go to hell. The grace is getting to go to heaven. Two separate things that we kind of put together and we overlook them at one point, right? We think that we deserve to go to heaven just because God gives us mercy. No. We don't deserve the mercy. We don't deserve the grace. We don't earn either of them, right? We have this idea that we can earn those things. No. We've already earned what we've earned. We don't want what we've earned. Romans talks a lot about that, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Savior. We don't want what we've earned. We don't want what we deserve. We want much, much more that we can't even come close to getting. And it's just great that God is willing to give us those things. See? So Jesus now is the way that God speaks to us. So as we look at John 14, 15 through 17, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. And the world is unable to receive him because, he doesn't, because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him. Because he remains with you, and he will be with you. So I want you to give us mercy and grace. Jesus says he's going to give us something extra to go with that. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Not to be around us. Not to come visit us every once in a while. He says, because... He remains with you. 
and will be in you. How amazing is that? So, he gives us mercy. He gives us grace. And knowing that we're still going to screw it up, he says, I'm going to send a helper to be with you. And not only with you, I'm going to let him be in you so that you can't obey. So you have somebody to listen to and to hear when you're following astray. Falling astray. I'm giving to you to be in you, to speak to you, to talk to you. Remember we talked last week how in the Old Testament they had, to, they had to go to the temple because that's where the tabernacle was and that's where God was sitting at. And now, now we no longer have that. We no longer have the Ark of the Covenant where God's waiting in there for us to come to him. But rather, he's in us through the Holy Spirit. And he's constantly saying, this is what's right. This is where you need to be. You're going the wrong way. Stop. Come back. Because he loves us that much. So I'm going to steal a comment my wife gave me this morning. She was talking about Amy Carmichael this morning. And in a, in a new way of thinking that she was reading about and that she was talking about. She said, Amy Carmichael, and I'm going to paraphrase Brandy paraphrasing Amy Carmichael, so it may, my paraphrasing may be more off than hers is, but we may get somewhere close in the middle of it with me doing it, okay? So the idea is, is so we have our quiet times in the morning, we go to God, and we say, God, what is your plan for me today? What do you want me to accomplish? Right? And we've all heard that idea. Right, everybody heard that idea? We go to him, start fresh in the morning, okay? And, and on, on that topic is, we, I saw, we watched a video, um, Brother Andrew, another missionary was talking, and he said, if you don't seek God in the morning, what are the chances you're gonna run into him in the, the rest of the day? That's Brother Andrew, right, Brandy? Yes. Okay, if you don't seek him in the morning, what are the chances you're gonna run into him the rest of the day? We all have that deal. We have that good intention of reading it, and then something comes up. Like, well, I'll get it. I get it at lunchtime, and then at lunchtime I'll get it a little bit later. I'll get it when I go to bed, right? And do we ever get to it? How often do we just not get to it because we didn't? Because we never ran back into God in the daytime. So that's that's important. We want to start in the morning, right? So we can keep bumping into Him throughout the day. But when we come to and we get this kind of list of things that we're supposed to do, the things God wants to focus on that day as we read His Word. When we, come to, when we come back through at the end of the night, and this is the new way of thinking that is just a mind-blowing, and I know Brandy's been pondering it for a few days, and I'm going to ponder it for a few days myself. Do we come back to God and we say, God, here's what I accomplished for you today. These are the things that you asked me to do this morning that I got finished. These are the things I fell short on. He said, praise you, God, for giving me the ability to do the things I did. And Lord, I confess that I failed you in these ways. Right? How different would our lives be if we were running that checklist down and say, God, here's the way I, here's the goals I accomplished for you. Right? Imagine, let's think about it in a more earthly way in that, in that manner. Imagine you have a boss. 
You go to work. Boss says, here's your task list for the day. Come see me at the end of the day. We'll see where we're at. Right? What are you going to do on that task list if your boss is saying, come see me on my list? You're going to work hard to get those things done, aren't you? Right? Because your paycheck's going to depend on it. All right. In this case, with God, our paycheck doesn't depend. Our paycheck has been paid. Right? If we're if we're based on what we do and what we earn, we've already talked about what our wages are for what we've earned. Right? But we cannot accomplish what God has planned for us in a way that makes it gives us the ability to say, "I've earned my way to you, God." But we can still work hard for Him and say, "God, here are the gifts I give you." This is my offering to you. You gave me so much more. I can never think to repay it. But here are the things you ask of me. And here's my offering to you as I try to honor you. And I'm so sorry I fell short of the things. So we get a chance to listen to God in the morning. Confess to God at night. Because confession... It's a major part of what we need to do. It's so easy to forget about that part. It's so easy to say, God, what do you want? What can you give me? I need this. Right? We, we're so good at that part. We're so good at asking, asking, asking. We, we fail at repenting and confessing of what we've done wrong. Saying, this is where I fell short. We're good to say, but God, I asked you for this. Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you give it to me? We overlook the fact that God said, I want you to do this, and we didn't even think about that. Right? So it's a constant coming to him and praying and, and seeking it out. And so I want to be careful as, we, as we're coming to the closing area of this that we have to ask the question, does that mean if it's all about New Testament, it's all about Jesus being the prophet, does that make the Old Testament useless to us? I've heard people come to that conclusion. And so I don't, I don't want to take a chance that what I've said has made you feel like I don't need the Old Testament because those are prophets that are speaking a different thing. Because Jesus is the new prophet. So don't get me wrong, the, the Old Testament is still powerful. Right? And so... Jesus, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit still speak to us through the Old Testament. It was so important that Jesus quoted the Old Testament multiple times, right? Paul quoted the Old Testament because it has value into what is going on in our hearts. And as I thought, what was the biggest piece of this? And I tried. The first thing we have to do is we have to remember that as believers and followers of Christ, we have to remember what we are saved from. Right? We have to remember constantly who we are that God gives us grace and God gives us mercy. If we don't remember why we get that we have grace and mercy, we get puffed up, we get full of ourselves, and we think, I am good. When the reality of it is, is through the Old Testament laws, we are nothing, we are worthless. All we deserve is death, hell, and the grave. So we cannot forget that. So as we read through the Old Testament, we see that, what the bad habits we have, the, the constant. I mean, we read through Judges, and we see the circle of events where it's constantly the same thing. Right? God raises up a prophet. The prophet saves them from their, from their judgment. 
and they live good for a couple of years. That prophet dies, they go back to the old way of life. And so they get they live their own way, and God punishes them, and they pray, God help us, and God raises up a prophet, right? And it just keeps circling and circling and circling. And how often does that happen in our lives? If you're like me, it happens a lot. Right? I struggle that I have. It keeps coming back through because Satan keeps making it sound good again. Satan whispers in your ear, oh, you can handle it now. It's okay. Why do people with rehab that, that have suffered through long rehab stints of alcohol and drugs and gambling, why do they go back? Because they think they have control and they think they can handle a little bit and it repeats the process again. Doesn't take much to just fall back into a bad habit. It's so easy to fall back into a bad habit, very hard to fall into a good habit. So we have to remember that that old way of life, that Old Testament stories, there's things we can learn from them about trusting God and not falling away from God. And then the next thing, probably the most, one of the more important things, is we have to remember that the people around us, what they need to be saved from. Because it doesn't matter where you're at, when you're there, who is there. No matter if you're in the holiest church ever, there could be somebody sitting next to you who is still living under condemnation because they haven't heard about the grace and mercy that Jesus offers them through the cross. But remember that everyone around us has that story still. We don't know who's saved next to us. Do you know for a fact the person to your right and to your left are saved today? Have you asked? Have you told them the story? Have you checked on them? We just don't know. And so we have to remember where we came from, and we got to remember where others are at in condemnation and sin. Because not everybody has the story that I am a believer yet. As much as we want them to, not everyone has that story. And so, in continuing with the idea that ultra rest is important, we're fixing to start. A week of VBS using an Old Testament passage, right? It's a very good passage. So Jeremiah 29, it's the main verses 29 13, but let me read 10 through 13. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promises concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And here's where it gets good. You will call to me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. 
I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and places where I banish you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you from the place I deported you from. So in the middle of there, two great statements. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Not you will call to me and I may, and I may pick up the phone. Not you will call to me and I'll have somebody take a message for me. Not you will call out for me and I will and I will say I'll be there in a second. No, he says, I will listen to you when you call out to me. And then he says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Not 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 you may find me. Not it might happen. Not, I'll, not while you're searching for me, I'll come come back around to you. But you will search, seek for me, and you will find me when you're searching with all your heart. I will be found by you. So as musicians come up, as we get ready for the altar call, I want you to look at this picture I saw. I found this on Facebook the other day, and this and that kind of hit me. Somebody else, so I didn't come up with this part of it on my own, but somebody else pointed this out to me. And you guys may not. Everybody remember that? Everybody know that scene? The little, those hands. That, I mean, I, I didn't put the full picture on it, but Michelangelo is the creation of Adam. Right? So the hand on the right is God reaching out, and Adam is there. So as I read these verses, I thought of this picture here. Look what God's finger is doing on the right. Look how it's stretched out, right? It's fully extended, and there's a gap between him and Adam. But look at Adam's finger. It's holding back. God's waiting there. And all Adam has to do is stretch his finger out and seek God. God's not hiding from us. God's not hiding to tell us a story. He's not hiding to speak to us. He wants so desperately to speak to our lives. He wants to talk to us in the morning, at lunchtime, at night. He wants it. He didn't send his son to die to give us mercy and grace so that we can all go to heaven and play on our cell phones, right? And hang out with each other and fellowship somewhere else, right? He did it because he wants to be with us, right? What happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and created separation between him and God? When we sing in the garden, God would come walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. He would talk with them and spend time with them. That's what God wants. He created us differently than all of other creation because he wanted to have relationship with us. He wants us to come to him with our good things going on in life. He wants us to go say, God, I'm struggling with this. He wants to hear those things. Just like a parent would. 
Right? As parents, we want to hear what's going on in our kids' lives, right? We don't want our kids to just ignore us and hide in their room and never come talk to us unless they need something. Right? We, don't want, we don't want kids to come to us and say, hey, Dad, I need five bucks, and then walk away when you give them the five bucks. We want to have conversations. We want to have a relationship with them. The same with our spouses. We want to have a relationship. We want to be able to talk with them and, and spend time with them, and that's what God wants from us. He's not hiding. You will seek me, or you will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. How great is that? You will seek me. When you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. He's waiting for every one of us to seek him, to find him, to cry out to him, so he can heal our sorrows. Let's pray.